welcome to Reader Seeks Romance Channel's Romance Roundup. I am Liz Donatelli. And I'm Libby Kay, author of the sweet romance series, Buckeye Falls. Libby and I are sharing our list of must-read historical romances. If you're listening to us on Podbean or your preferred podcast app, then be sure to like and subscribe to Romance Roundup. Also, watch Romance Roundup on Reader Seeks Romance's YouTube channel. Be sure to like and subscribe. Libby, let the roundup begin. Okay, giddy up, Liz, here we go. I am so excited to talk about historical romances because while that's not usually what I read, it is definitely one of my favorite uh, genres. So the first one I want to talk about today is one I actually saw on one of your summer episodes of Reader Seeks Romance, and it is Marry Me by Midnight by Felicia Grossman. And it just came out in August of this year from Forever Press, and it was um, an absolute delight. And um, it's also the first in her Once Upon the East End series. So you know I like a good series. So anything that's the beginning of something bigger is always exciting for me. Um, so the thing I like about this are the tropes that are involved. Uh, most specifically, yes, it's a Regency romance, but this is basically a reverse uh, Cinderella fairy tale. And I really like that it takes place in um, in Jewish culture in London in the 1830s. And I really thought that that added to the story in a fun way, which I'm sure you uh, agree because you also read this book. <laughs> yes, I did. And I very much enjoyed it. Yeah, there's a lot of great description of traditions and customs yes. that I didn't realize were also celebrated back in the Regency era, which you don't think of uh, Jewish communities thriving at that time in England, but yep. they, they were. Yeah. Yeah. It, and it definitely felt like Felicia did her research on this. Um, yeah. I like with historical when you learn something, but usually it's like you learn just enough without the story getting too dry, if that makes sense. Not that I yes. don't want to learn things, but let's be real. No, absolutely. <laughs> so, so the general premise of the book is we have our heroine, Isabel, who is a charming heiress who has to find a match um, that is suitable after her father's passing uh, because she's basically in charge of the business. But because it's 1830s, uh, she's not really in charge of the business and she has to find a man to come in and basically run things on her behalf. Uh, which is the downside of historical romances because I find myself getting annoyed because I'm thinking about it through a modern brain, but I digress. <laughs> the flip side of uh, Isabella, our rich heiress, is Aaron, who is the custodian of the local synagogue and an absolute sweetheart. And I really loved that the whole point uh, throughout the whole story, all he wants is to fall in love and have a family of his own. And he feels like that's out of reach. And I just thought that was just so darn sweet. And again, a nice twist on the Cinderella uh, storyline. So um, I don't want to give away too much with the plot, but um, as you can guess, there will be, uh, you know, many opportunities for, you know, a ball or, you know, fa uh, uh, fancy parties for them to get together. And um, they end up helping each other and of course, falling in love. And I, I just, it was really, it was just really refreshing to read um, a historical romance just with different perspectives and the writing was really sharp. I felt like there was humor peppered in at the right places, but, um, and it was like just steamy enough, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, which it, again, I don't mind if it gets steamy, but I felt like it wasn't just like sometimes with historic, well, with any romance, you feel like it's like, oh, new chapter, they're fooling around again. And it's like, that's great. But you know, <laughs> what are you going to do about the plot here? So I felt like 
Felicia really did a nice job with balancing like the steam level yes. with, you know, the plot line. So really enjoyed it. Highly recommend. Again, this is Marry Me by Midnight by Felicia Grossman, and it's out now from Forever Press. So let's stay in Europe, but we're going to go forward in time to 1889 to Paris and then Scotland. Sign me up. (laughs) I am talking about A Caribbean Heiress in Paris by Adriana Herrera, published in 2022 by Harlequin imprint HQN Books, which actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, I didn't realize it, that imprint has been renamed to Canary Street Press. No, I had no idea because I, I read yeah. a lot of the HQN books. Well, that's good yes. to know. <laughs> so HQ, yeah, HQN books is now Canary Street Press. And according to what I read, it's supposed to be a much more inclusive line. Oh, no. So I guess in doing so, they decided to rebrand with a, a new name. A Caribbean Heiress in Paris is book one in Las Leones series. This historical romance, as I mentioned, is set in Paris. And then the other part of the book is in Scotland. And it is set during, according to the category on Amazon, it's Gilded Age. But it technically could also fall under Victorian era. Mm -hmm. Because the Victorian era was until 1901. So actually, it's it's the latter part of the Victorian era, um, earlier part of Gilded Age. So in A Caribbean Heiress in Paris, the main protagonist is Luz Alana Heath Benzon, heiress of a rum empire located in the Dominican Republic. And Luz sails to Paris with her two best friends and her adorable 10-year-old sister. And they're sailing to Paris to participate, or at least Luz is going to participate as a merchant in the Exposition Universal. Oh, uh, Trevian. <laughs> oh, good. You took French too, huh? Uh, yeah, about this much, and that's all I remember. So please don't <laughs> expect me to know anymore. <laughs> so the exposition in Paris, um, the point is for merchants to show up and to secure investment opportunities and network and so on. Luz really needs an investor because uh, the distillery in the Dominican Republic uh, is um, is in some financial trouble. So in, to ensure its long-term success, she goes to Europe to forge new business uh, relationships. So when Luz Alana arrives, she is laughed at. She is a woman. She's a woman of color. But Earl of Darnick, James Evanston Sinclair, known as Evan, takes Lazalana very seriously. He's really taken by this bold, brave, beautiful woman selling her rum. And uh, Evan actually is involved in the whiskey business. That's his side gig um, to being an Earl. So Evan wants to help Lazalana to succeed and... He and Luz Alana decide to enter into a marriage of convenience for reasons. Reasons I would prefer the reader find out on their own for the first time because it does get a little um, uh, complex with Mm -hmm. the reasons. Like, I can't really tell you the reasons without other stuff coming out. So, uh, but they marry. And despite their best efforts, of course, they fall in love. So Adriana, I have mentioned her work before. Uh, I am a fan. And she invested a lot of time researching life in the Dominican Republic. 
in the late 19th century to write this novel. Uh, she also did a lot of research on women in trade and business and the 1889 Paris Exposition, which is described in rich detail. Honestly, there's a lot of fantastic detail that really sets the scene. Um, it almost reminded me of more of those old school historical romance where there's a lot yeah. of time spent on the background and the vibe and the atmosphere and the people. But again, she doesn't do it in a dry way. Like you, it really just yeah. really sets the scene. And it was, it, I mean, it just kept the story flowing. And, yes. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. In addition to being a romance reader, I love history. I really mm -hmm. am a history lover. So I'm always thrilled to learn about, you know, cultures and people and communities I know little about. It was a thrill for me to read about a main cast of Afro-Latino women, some of whom you know are going to be in future books. Um, and Which I'm excited about because yes. they all they all had their own quirks. And mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the younger sister character because sometimes yes. when you throw a kid that age into a story, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, where are we going with this? But I thought yeah. she was like the perfect foil for me. Yeah. Yes. And there was a lot of great conversational banter between Lazalana and her sister and her friends where I mean, because, you know, I, of course, it's always great, you know, banter between the romance protagonists. But I really appreciated how comfortable and, you know, uh, they all were with each other because, you know, it, it brings to mind that, you know, even back then we imagine everyone's stuffy and speaking so formal. But, you know, when you were just speaking to your family and your good friends, yeah. it probably was a lot less formal. So I really like that she included it wasn't that everyone was so stuffy in and out of the drawing room. So, um, so yeah, so it was a really uh, a great cast of characters. I reread all of Adriana's notes in the back, uh, her author notes. And in her own, this is uh, Adriana's own words, quote, bringing to life BIPOC characters in a historical romance that had space to breathe and live their best lives was a dream come true. And I think that she said it best herself, yeah. like why I, I was so compelled by all of the, the characters. That's a fabulous description. Yes, it is. So aside from the rich historical detail, A Caribbean Heiress in Paris is epic in scope, spanning from, I mean, if you count that she comes from the Dominican Republic, then mm -hmm. we land in Paris, and then we go to Scotland, Edinburgh. Um, the epic, it, the romance is epic. Uh, well-developed, compelling characters, a sassy supporting cast, and delicious steamy times. There was that one scene, there's been like, there was some longing scenes, but then there were some really hot scenes. I think they were out on a balcony. And I don't know, there was a lot yes. of kisses and balconies. Then they were in a brothel watching yes, a lot I forgot of about show. That. And, yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So now book two in the Las Leonis uh, series is a sapphic romance, and it's one of her best friends. And I don't recall her name, but the title is An Island Princess Starts a Scandal, and that released in 2023. Oh, so, and it's out already. I totally missed that. Yes, one. yes. So check out A Caribbean Heiress in Paris by Adriana Herrera. It was such a good book. And the cover's gorgeous. I love the yes. cover. Where are you taking us next in history, Libby? Uh, pretty much the same time. And we're going to stay in Scotland. 
So this one, and this is a recommendation from a fellow book club member. Um, So it's a little bit older. It came out in 2009. It's The Madness of Lord Ian Mackenzie by Jennifer Ashley. And this was, like I said, first came out in 09 from Berkeley, but it has been re-released several times and the covers keep getting swoonier and swoonier. So um, definitely uh, check this out. It's book one in, I think there's like a dozen of them now in the Mackenzie series. So it takes place in 1880s in Scotland. And um, Ian and his brothers are all wearing kilts throughout the book. So I just want you to know that as I go into my general premise description here. <laughs> well, the whole time? The whole time uh, yeah. wearing kilts? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I think there might have been one scene where they were out at the opera and he wasn't in one. But I very much remember at the end, like the climax scene, like all the brothers coming together and thinking, good Lord, this is amazing. So, yeah, plenty oh, of kilts. <laughs> that, I would love to see that on the screen. Visually, that yes, must be please. stunning. All of the, the tartan designs and the legs. designs and I mean just the fact that there's four Scottish guys like who are gruff and like surly I'm like yes please yes. have that happen immediately Hollywood are you listening mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh so the general premise is it, the Mackenzie family is rich they're powerful they're eccentric and they have this um air of danger around them and so people are always kind of like stay away from those crazy Mackenzie guys um, which of course means that our heroine will not. Uh, <laughs> so um, Ian is the youngest brother and he is known as uh, the Mad Mackenzie because he as a youth was uh, institutionalized for some time. And so that that's kind of at the beginning of the story. And you're like, what the heck's going on with Ian here? Because he does seem like an actual, a real cinnamon roll. Mm-hmm. So um, our heroine in the story is Beth and she is a widow uh, who came into a fortune and she really wants to avoid all the drama that comes with that. She's, I hate to say the word excited, but um, it wasn't an overly um, passionate marriage. And so she's excited to kind of have the space to be herself and have the funds to kind of keep her comfortable. But of course, all the eligible men um, are not going to let her leave her alone. So uh, coincidentally, one night, uh, her and Ian bump into each other and he's never really been um, interested in settling down with every, anyone and she wants to stay away from drama. So, of course, all sorts of shenanigans will ensue. Um, I don't want to give away too much of the plot. There is a fun mystery element to it that kind of keeps it a little not dark like gothic, but, you know, there, there's some, you know, things going on in the background that is more than just hot men in kilts, which, again, is fine if that was all there was. Um The thing about this book that I really liked is it portrays um, Ian's madness that they call it is basically modern day Asperger's or autism. It's very clear from how he acts that in today's society, he would be considered on the spectrum. But obviously in the 1880s, they wouldn't have had a spectrum to compare to. So um, I really I, I just really liked how that was depicted. That was one of the things that, again, it just set it apart from other, um, you know, Victorian era, Regency era uh, historical romances, because it was just more than, you know, and again, I'm not complaining about this, but it's more than like the hero just growling, you know, before they have, you know, passionate sex. It was, you know, he really like, and yeah. and she, the patience she had with him while he, you know, found his words and found his way. I mean, it was all very endearing, um, but the book was also steamy. So it really balanced that out nicely. So um, I can't say enough good things about it. I've already read uh, the next two in the series with two of the other brothers, and I still have to read the fourth one. Um, and it is, it is, they're just a delight. There's enough intrigue and, you know, there's, there seems to be the theme of a slight mystery element. So it, it makes it a breeze to read. Um, I, I would like to try one of the audiobooks I think, for the fourth one, because I'm curious if the narrator's um, have accents because I would not say no to that. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Anything set in Scotland. Yeah. I, I mean, audiobook. 
yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend um, if you're looking for so and it's still out everywhere because I got my copy on, I think I, I, well, the one I got at the library, but the other one I did get on Amazon for like $4. They're everywhere. You can't escape the McKenzie brothers. So uh, mm-hmm. that's my uh, second pick is The Madness of Lord Ian McKenzie by Jennifer Ashley. And it's out forever from Berkeley. <laughs> well, we're going to leave Europe now. Okay, I'm ready. Where are we going? We're going to Port Royal, Jamaica. Ooh. And we're going back in time to 1741. Oh, I love it. All right. We're, yes. Tell me more. <laughs> I have a pirate romance for you. Yes. Non-related. We just uh, finished the first season of Our Flag Means Death. So I'm like, I need all the pirate everything. Okay. So I watched, I think, the first episode. And it was one of those things where I had a lot of other things to watch. So I put yeah. it on hold. And then I never went back to it. So oh. you're saying I should go back to it. You should go back because it is. Well, I don't want to give anything away because I didn't know anything about it going in other than the fact that I liked it's very quirky and it's and that's to sound lazy. There are less than 30 minute episodes and sometimes you just need like, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? Like 25 <laughs> minutes of something silly. Yeah. So we're, we're going to uh, to make out on pirates, a pirate right. ship. <laughs> in Like Flynn is book two in Pirates of King's Landing trilogy by Lauren Smith published in 2022 by the author. I've mentioned Lauren's pen name before on the show a few times, Emma Castle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, In Like Flynn opens in Port Royal, Jamaica, 1741. Pirate captain Brianna Holland, the daughter of notorious pirate king Thomas Buck, is sentenced to hang by the royal army when Brianna, dressed as a man, is caught trying to help a fellow pirate escape. I love this already. (laughs) (laughs) Royal Navy Lieutenant Nicholas Flynn, Errol Flynn, for anyone who knows classic pirate films, that's, that's the inspiration. So Nicholas Flynn is tasked with posing as a prisoner to get close to Brianna, who's using the alias Brian. So he thinks that there is a young lad, Brian, who's a prisoner. And this guy, Brian, might know where Thomas Buck, the pirate king, is hiding. So Nicholas and Brian are now in the same cell. And uh, they develop a relationship. And then some things happen. And then Nicholas realizes that Brian is actually a woman named Brianna. So he decides to help her escape because he uh, has really, you know, cares for for uh, Brianna, who he thought was Brian. And he knows that the royal army is going to be ruthless and, you know, uh, hang her real bad. I don't know. (laughs) So he's like, I'm going to help you escape. And that's where their adventure together begins. And I'm not going to tell you anything else because this romance is just filled with story and I don't want to tell anybody more than they need to know going into it I want them to experience the awesomeness for themselves Lauren as is her pen name uh Emma Castle both are extraordinary storytellers Lauren writes compelling plots rich characters and sexy hotness in like Flynn checks all those boxes plus is filled with adventure steamy times on a pirate ship 
super likable supporting characters because there is a crew of of pirates. And then you also meet some characters from book one. Now you can read, this is book two, you can read the book separately for Pirates of King's Landing, but they do mention some other people from, from book one. Oh, and an interesting part of the pirate story in this novel is that this pirate crew does not keep prisoners or slaves. Uh, They respect women and they only take lives if they must. Oh, how refreshing. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) So basically they just plunder, which means that they just steal a lot of stuff, but they don't pillage and they don't um, hurt people unnecessarily. So really nice. Yes. I believe that they are referred to, and I think this might be an actual thing in history, the gentlemen pirates. That's literally our flag means death. (laughs) Oh, really? Because as you're describing it, that's all I'm thinking about is the show because he's literally called the gentleman pirate. And I'm like, this is exactly like the show. That's awesome. Well, then you definitely have to read Pirates Landing. Uh, Three, it's a trilogy. There's three books. I've only read the one. And I know Lauren and she does a lot of research. So she did a lot of media research and actual reading up about women pirates or pirate lass. They're often called pirate lasses. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. This is definitely being added to my list. This sounds perfect. Oh, you need to. So definitely check out In Like Flynn by Lauren Smith. I will. (laughs) Okay. So are we going to be going forward in time or backwards in time from 1741? We're going to go forward about 40 years, give or take. Um, wow, you did the math to, quickly. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really hoping it's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going back to merry old England. So get ready. <laughs> so this one is uh, Two Rogues Make a Right by Cat Sebastian. This came out in 2020 from Avon Impulse. This is the third book in the Seducing the Sedwick series. And I will say, I did not know that when I picked it up and read it, and I was totally fine. I didn't feel lost or anything. There's, as you just mentioned with um, in Lake Flynn, there's characters mentioned, but it doesn't take you out of the story. Yeah. Um, and it has several of my favorite tropes, um, including kind of a friends to lovers. And this is, it's, it's, this always sounds funny, but it's a close proximity because one of them is nursing the other one back to health. And I don't know why, but I love that because in real life that's stressful, but in books, it's like, oh, how charming. I am not fond of the nursing back to health trope. I get how that will bring characters together and forge a love, but I don't prefer that. No, I totally understand. And- the scenes where they were talking about, you know, him being ill and like the smell and him sweating, yeah. it's like, ew, beyond that, like the the yearning and the tension and all that, that I was yes. like, tell me more, Will and Martin. I think it was Will and Martin. Okay. So the general premise is, and uh, in case you couldn't tell from the title, this is a gay romance. So we have two heroes. Uh, Will Sedgwick has been searching for his uh, childhood friend, Martin, for quite some time. Uh, Martin has been ill for a while and um, no one knows where he is. So our story starts with Will finding poor Martin hiding in an attic, uh, which the book described as a gothic nightmare. And if memory serves, that's accurate. <laughs> so I do uh, love a good attic, someone hanging yes. out in an attic, hiding in yes. it. I love that. I don't know. It, well, especially in historical, it just adds to the atmosphere. I don't know what that says about it. Me, does. I like it. <laughs> you're dark. You're dark. I kind of am. <laughs> So uh, Will is intent on nursing Martin back to health and he decides to kidnap him and take him to the country to recover. 
So they're going to be setting up shop in a cute, quaint little cottage in the English countryside, which please, if we all have to be sick in the mid 1800s, I think that's where we'd all like to recover. Um, or at least me. I don't know. Uh, so um, Martin isn't necessarily complaining about Will taking care of him, but he is concerned that, you know, he won't survive this illness since it's been part of his life. And doctors have been saying he's a lost cause. So that kind of adds to, which I know sounds really funny to say, this is why I liked this book, but I liked that there was, because there's like a term for that when it's like, there's a clock running in the background. Like you don't know if someone has to like leave or in this case, if someone's going to die. Um, yeah. I will spoil it and say that it's a romance. So there will be a happy ending. So I don't want people to freak out and think I'm suggesting a book that'll devastate them. Uh, but the thing that really makes this book um, stand out for me with the romances I've read recently is the amount of pining and I love friends to lovers when they don't think that the other one's into them. And there's like all these tension moments of tension. And um, I don't know. I just thought it was just really well done. And I've liked a lot of Cat Sebastian's other books, which you'll hear about in future episodes, but there was just enough of the quirky townspeople to kind of support Martin and Will on their, um, quest for health I guess for lack of a better way of saying it um but yeah I mean it's it's sweet it's it, I wouldn't say there was really any funny points to this book but it was sweet it was tender it was steamy um and like I said it's the third book in the trilogy um I have read the first one so far just as good um but I don't think you have to worry about reading them in order because I didn't feel like I was missing anything with Will and Martin's story from starting at the end so that was Two Rogues Make a Right by Kat Sebastian, uh, out now from Avon Impulse. Okay, so are we going, are we staying in England? Where are we going now? We're staying in England. Okay. Yorkshire. So we're Ooh. in the country. And like we are going to uh, Regency era. Um, that was Regency, though, to um, yeah, the Kat Sebastian think, book, too, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're staying in the Regency era with... One Good Deed Deserves a Lover. Oh, I love the title. It is book five in Mary Farmer's After the War series. The series was previously published by Oliver Heber Books in 2022, but now is listed as self-published by the author. One Good Deed Deserves a Lover is a humorous gay Regency romance set in Yorkshire, England in 1816 following the Napoleonic Wars, which I don't know if you know anything about the Napoleonic Wars, but it was France versus Britain, Austria, Russia, and Prussia. Um, So, uh, so yeah, so there was a, it was a lot going on. (laughs) So Lord Anthony has a country house and he hosts lots of parties that are tons of fun, especially thanks to his perpetual house guest, the vain, shallow, pleasure-seeking Lord Percy. Lord Percy has the aristocratic bloodline, but not the wealth. On the other hand, Lord Anthony's other house guest, the gruff, serious, very intelligent Lieutenant Clarence Bond, comes from money, but doesn't have the title. So we deal with, I think I know where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, right there, we've got opposites attract. And I love 
house parties in historical romance. Yeah. I love like yes. country house parties because I feel like anything goes and anything There's did go. There's always like then. rooms or gardens or someplace they're going to run out and have yes. like, a little moment. Oh, I yes. love it. <laughs> Percy, Lord Percy, although everyone calls him Percy, accidentally finds a missing child and he <laughs> undeservedly becomes a local hero. Which, he doesn't have to keep the child, does he? No, no, no. He, okay. he no. So everyone in town is looking for this missing child, and he goes for less than honorable reasons. He just happens to be walking around. I don't know if it's like down by the beach, the moors, or something. And anyway, he ends up finding this kid. This kid okay. ends up running into him, and he's just like, "Hey, the kid's over here," and everyone just is like, "Oh, you're, you're a hero." Um, everyone in town wants to celebrate him. So he actually, and he never really felt like a hero before. So this feels good to him. I mean, he's always thought of himself and hasn't really put himself out there. So uh, he enjoys the attention. And through that one act, it sets him on a journey of self-discovery that proves that he is a lot more than what he thinks he is. In doing so, he and Clarence start getting closer and they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of sex <laughs> and uh, they fall in love. And uh, so I absolutely adored this book. Opposites Attract, the romance between Clarence and Percy is heartwarming, generous helpings of humor and suspense and adventure because there is a subplot involving like smuggling and covert operations. So um, there's a lot of story. Percy and Clarence are fabulously passionate about each other and their differences really do complement each other. I mean, there's the obvious one of just them having identities that are kind of, you know- um, Polar opposites. Yeah, polar opposites, exactly. Um, and, uh, yeah. And Mary really writes each character, even Percy, who's vain and shallow with, with a lot of depth, especially as he goes on his, his, uh, his merry way of enjoying being the local hero. And it's, it's very steamy as a matter of fact, and this cracks me up and I think we should use this <laughs> as okay. a metric to talk about really steamy reads. Mary Farmer describes the steam level as quote, fiery hot with all the eggplants. <laughs> I love it. I think we should use that. That's brilliant. I think that's great. <laughs> so uh, definitely eggplants. check out One Good Deed Deserves a Lover by Mary Farmer. I will. That sounds awesome. And I love that there's humor because humor, yes. again, not that you need that in every book, but it's not common all the time in historical romances. So that's it, really nice. It isn't. And I was surprised because it's almost like a times it's it's kind of like a little slapsticky that you're like oh this is this is really fun oh, i like so, it oh yeah. i like it no definitely yeah. gonna read that that sounds awesome <laughs> okay so where to next libby okay next we're staying in england and uh we're basically staying in the same time period too so <laughs> okay making this easy <laughs> this is one by i know a lot of people who are huge historical romance fans they always say they love most of her work if not all of it um this book is someone to care by Mary Balo, and I might be saying that wrong. It's B-A-L-O-G-H. Um, she's kind of one of the OGs of historical romance writing. She's got a bazillion books and they're all fabulous. 
Uh, this one came out in 2018 from Berkeley, and it's book four in the Westcott series. I have read several of them, none of them in the right order, and I have been fine in terms okay. of being uh, not being confused. Good to know. Say. Yeah. So um, some of the tropes that drew me to this one in particular was um, it has, a you know, Grumpy Sunshine, which um, I just love in most situations. It's technically a second chance romance because these two have met before. And um, the thing I like the most, it's love after 40 in a historical romance. And I don't mind the, the you know, pretty common trope of, you know, the virgin woman and the very experienced man and all that yeah. stuff. That's fine. Yeah. But sometimes it's just nice to read a book where a woman in the 1800s actually has a good time. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? For the general premise is uh, Viola Kingsley is the Countess of Riverdale, which just sounds perfect. Uh, and she's <laughs> been widowed for over two years. And much like uh, Beth in the other book I mentioned, um, she's kind of okay that her husband's dead. I mean, it wasn't anything like nefarious or anything, but um, her children yeah. are grown. She has, you know, enough of an income that she can kind of just live her life. And she's like, all right. So, but instead of Beth, who wanted to avoid drama with Ian McKenzie, um, our girl Viola, she wants to live a little. And so she makes this decision to live. And on that day, she bumps into an old acquaintance, the Marquis of Dorchester, Marcel Lamar. So, and again, I'm going to tell you right now, he's a dreamboat, like a total silver fox. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Marcel has been a pretty famous womanizer in their social circle since his wife died nearly 20 years ago. And um, their paths cross after his wife died while she was a young uh, bride with her young children. And he being the perceived cad that he was made some advances and she's like, no, nah, I don't think so. But she wasn't not attracted to him. So fast forward, their paths cross. They're both now single. Everybody's out of the house. They both got a little money. They can do their thing. Uh, so they decide to buck tradition and uh, travel the English countryside together, just enjoying life and the moment. Uh, they're not expecting this to be a long term thing, but they're just trying to have some fun. So I don't want to spill what happens on their time in the countryside, but rest assured, it's it's sexy. It's fun. There's a few quirky moments. There's like a local festival they go to, which is kind of fun watching like a fish out of water situation. Um, but yeah, it is. I mean, there's a reason that Mary's books are so popular. Um, I think I read this in a day and a half. It just had um, excellent pacing. Uh, the side characters were fun. It was and again, it was nice reading um, a historical romance where and again, I don't have anything against this, but they both knew what they were doing and it was fun to watch them do those things. <laughs> and it didn't have, compared to the other ones I'm talking about, it didn't have nearly as much like conflict as in terms of like, you know, oh, if we don't do this, we're going to lose our business or we're going to lose our money. It was just like okay. they didn't want to look, you know, trashy to the aristocracy. <laughs> so I'm like, I can handle that level of conflict. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It sounds like a delight. It was. I, I, that is the perfect way to say it. It was a delight. <laughs> wow. I love, man, anything in the country, the English countryside. I know. Tri like road tripping through it, rolling around in the countryside, the grass. I, yeah. when, I <laughs> stuck in a cottage. Um, yes. I just love anything like that. So that was Someone to Care by Mary Balo. Came out 2018 from Berkeley. Where are we going next? Well, we're kind of staying around the same area. But we're going to 880 AD during the Viking times. Holy cow, I'm ready. Let's go. The Viking Chiefs Marriage Alliance by Lucy Morris, published by Mills and Boone in the UK and Harlequin Historical in the US in 2021. 
This is Lucy's debut historical romance, and it was one of my favorite reads of 2021. I am a huge fan of Lucy Morris's work. All of her Viking romances are fantastic. And I decided to start with the very first. So the Viking Chiefs Marriage Alliance is set in 880 AD, which I know is a lot to like wrap your mind around. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but don't worry, it doesn't feel as ancient as it sounds because people make love <laughs> in any century. So it is set in the Anglo-Saxon kingdom of Northumbria, which today encompasses parts of England and Scotland. Okay. So so we're kind of still around the same area, just a different era. After the funeral of her husband, a loathsome Norse chief, Gita sets sail from Viking, which is present-day Norway, for the big city of Jorvik, which is now today York, England. So okay. Gita is hated her husband, and it was an arranged marriage situation. So she's like, peace, I'm out. <laughs> she sails to Jorvik to start anew. It's a bustling city, you know, full of merchants. And she does do crafts and stuff. Like, I forget what craft, but she does crafting things that she could sell at, at Jorvik. Is it like Viking style Etsy shops? <laughs> you know, I kind of envision it like a current day flea market. Okay, okay. Like a lot of stalls where you could buy jewelry and, and you yeah, know, like art, artisanal olive oil, you know, yeah. things <laughs> like that. Whatever that would be back then. Gita is on her longship with her crew and a storm destroys her ship and she almost drowns. But she is saved by Torstein Bergson. That's a mouthful. Yes. And he is um, a big Viking dude. And um, his bark is much worse than his bite. <laughs> now, the two, when he saves... Now, she's a very proud woman, Gita. So, you know, she wasn't the easiest person to really save. And, you know, he, he, she was a bit icy towards Torstein. She wasn't just, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. So he's very intimidating. She's a very proud woman. He interprets that as her being very icy. And um, she thinks that, oh, he's just this this big bad guy. Um, but they do have mutual connections because I guess in the Viking community, you know, no matter where you're from, people know people. It's so, not that big of a community, I guess. <laughs> well, I think, well, being she was married to this chief, he was very well known in oh, the okay. other parts of the lands. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So because of the mutual connections, the people that they know in common, they were like, hey, you know, you guys should enter into an arranged marriage. You know, she has some status and Torstein, you want to be the, the chief and the chieftain. So uh, why don't you guys get married? It would be mutually beneficial. So Torstein and Gita get married in a traditional Viking wedding ceremony that mm -hmm. is described in wonderful detail by oh. Lucy Morris. It's such a treat to read. Torstein and Gita must now heal from the trauma of their past relationships because Torstein has a story there too before they can learn to love each other. So they need to heal and they do. And it's a very emotional love story 
which I think a lot of people, when they think of Viking romance, I'm actually not sure what they think of, but I think they think of just like his brutality has won me, has won me over eventually, wore me down. But no, this is really uh, an emotional, you know, love story. They do fall deeply in love. Torstein is a cinnamon roll. Oh. Yes. And uh, you really do learn a lot about Viking and Norse traditions and customs. Lucy did a fantastic job of research. I did interview her a number of times on Reader Seeks Romance. She she loves researching, put a lot of research into this. And it's just a beautiful and unique historical romance. I mean, I've never, I had never read a Viking romance prior to reading Lucy's work. And honestly, I don't want to read anyone else's. If it's Viking, it's like it's got to be Lucy Morris. Check out the Viking Chiefs Marriage Alliance by Lucy Morris. I definitely will. I like I like that it's a completely different part of history that I usually don't it is. read or, or watch a lot of. Yeah. It just comes from a different perspective with history. And so I don't know. I'm intrigued. Where are we going now? Okay. So now we're kind of still in England. Well, no, kind of. We are in England, but we're also in America for a little bit. Okay. And this is one where I judged a book by its cover and I love it. And I had to buy it as soon as I saw it. So I am doing The Heiress Gets a Duke by Harper St. George. Uh, This came out in 2021 from Berkeley, and it's book one in the Gilded Age Heiress series. And I will be honest, I have the others, but I haven't read them yet. Again, the covers are stunning, and I'm a sucker for a good cover. And I know we talked about this in a previous episode, but I just, I love mass market paperbacks. I just love, there's something about curling up with a mass market paperback and just spending an afternoon back in time. Just love, love, love. I think they also, they're more legit. Like when I look at a mass paperback, I'm like, this is OG. This is like, this is old school. This is like, this is a legit, this is real. Like this is a real book. Yep. No, (laughs) I feel the same way. I love it. Love, love, love. (laughs) And yes, all of the books in that series have beautiful covers. The dresses and the colors. Oh, just pops. They're beautiful. Yeah. And the tagline for this book says, an American fortune made in the railroad industry does not buy access to the upper echelons of Victorian high society. Dot, 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 unless you need a marriage of convenience. So that's the main trope for this one. So the story follows an American heiress, August Crenshaw, um, who is not at all interested in getting married to anybody, let alone some stuffy British lord across the pond. And um, she really wants to focus on her family's ironworks business. But she's a woman during the Victorian era. So I think we all know where that's going. Yeah. Uh, so for as progressive as um, August views are, her parents are absolutely dead set on getting her or her sister married to um, a nobleman over in England because they have the money, but they don't have the title. And there's much like in Downton Abbey, kind of uh, you have people with the title, but they don't have the money. So um, at the beginning of the story, it's her uh, August sister, Violet, who is um, promised to um our hero, who is Evan Sterling, the Duke of Rothschild. And um, Evan doesn't really care. He just needs to get the money because he's really worried about the people who rely on him. Because that's the thing I always forget in these books is that, yeah, they're rich and they live in manners, but they have everybody in the village that kind of needs, you know, the lord or the nobleman to, you know, do his job so they can survive. So he is very worried about the people that live in his village. And so he was at first in the book, totally fine with marrying Violet, you know, eh, whatever. And then he meets August and then all bets are off. And so I don't want to give away too much with the story um, and how they get together, but it is, it was just a lot of fun. Um, there, I think there was at least one steamy scene. It's been a, over a year since I read it. So you know how it is. You just, yeah. I remember loving it. And I remember I liked August a lot. 
Um, and Evan was great. He was a good hero. And I like her sister and friends who were introduced in this book that are the heroines of the rest of the series. So okay. um, they just have a really good friendship. It was it was really I like how um, how Harper uh, d- describes the process. And there is a character who is married to a really old guy. And they talk about how this poor girl, you know, had no choice. That's what her family wants. And yeah. then I fell down a rabbit hole researching online with all of the true stories of women who just were, you know, forced into these marriages of convenience just for, you know, one half of the family to get a title and the other half to get the money. So it was really well-researched, but not in a dry way. Um, again, gives me total Downton Abbey vibes with the general premise, which if you're into that show is not a yes. bad thing. Oh, I'm so. a huge Downton Abbey fan and I love the show Gilded Age on HBO. Yes, I yes. Don't, yeah. I've only seen a couple yeah. episodes of that, but I really, oh, the production value, it's gorgeous. Both those oh, shows. It, it's super entertaining. Uh, I love the Gilded Age. I love mm-hmm. that era in history. I love reading about, you know, the Vanderbilts and yes. um, the, the different families. And it's so funny to think, because, you know, right now it's like, well, what would it matter? But it was, I mean, the way they described it, like these yeah. people were obsessed with yes. getting into high society because they, you know, they were the, the new rich and they just wanted that clout. And it's just, I don't know, it was, Again, very yeah. well researched, but not um, not clunky. It just flowed with the story really yeah. nicely. Oh yeah, oh so, yeah. That is my recommendation for the heiress gets a duke by Harper St. George. So we're gonna stay in England. Okay, <laughs> earlier Victorian. So. Okay. A Lady's Formula for Love, published in 2021 by Berkeley. Book one in Elizabeth Everett's The Secret Scientists of London trilogy. Ooh, this was one of my favorite reads of 2021. A Lady's Formula for Love is set in London during the early Victorian era in 1842. Widow and scientist Lady Violet. Another widow. The widow episode. <laughs> yes. Historical romances, a lot of them, there is, mm-hmm. if it's not a nubile virgin, it's, oh, they're a widow and, you know, yeah. they had a horrible <laughs> first marriage. But they're ready to live it up. <laughs> they're ready. They're ready for sex. <laughs> Lots of sex. <laughs> the widow and scientist Lady Violet is the founder of Athena's Retreat, a woman's club that doubles as an underground sanctuary complete with laboratories to advance the studies of other women scientists. When Lady Violet begins work on a confidential mission for the crown, an act of sabotage prompts Violet's stepson, who she gets along with, to hire protection for his stepmother and her club members. Enter Arthur Neeland, a reserved officer who takes his job very seriously. Ooh, I bet he does. <laughs> oh, yes. And he expects compliance from Violet and the women he was hired to keep safe. Of course, he was wrong in believing that would happen. <laughs> the fiercely independent Violet and her outspoken, eccentric club members make his job difficult at every turn. Violet and Arthur eventually develop feelings for each other, proving that the formula for love has no antidote. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I came up with that on my own. Two thumbs up. <laughs> Thank you. I reworked that pun a few times before it was just right. Well, it's perfect. (laughs) I so loved A Lady's Formula for Love. 
a brilliantly funny cast of characters captivates from page one. There's intrigue, suspense, humor, and an emotionally engaging and very sexy romance between Violet and Arthur that defies societal standards of the time. She was Ooh. a woman with a title and he was not. He And he was also a, a police officer, which even though they needed them, you know, they were considered yeah. kind of low, low ranking as far as society is concerned. There is a memorable scene in which Arthur and Violet um, become intimate. And I believe it's in her boudoir, in her like dressing room, in her bedroom, oh. which is quite, uh, quite steamy. Yeah, go get it, Violet. <laughs> yes. Um, their love connection is profoundly satisfying. And they also learn to love themselves and accept themselves because there are some things in their past that they are working towards um, overcoming, healing. So, uh, so yeah, so it's also a, a large dose of them learning to love themselves while also learning to love each other. Well, that sounds charming. Yes, it is. So check out A Lady's Formula for Love by Elizabeth Everett. Ooh, I like it. Yes. And I believe that's our roundup. Thanks for joining us, romance readers. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>